I don't think there was too little food. I think there was too much of something else. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, not that you were there, Linda, but it was... No, no, I just know you. <laughs> I know you. How many bottles of wine did you mm. actually get through? And all right, how many okay. of you were there? Okay. And over how long a period? No, that's, okay, that's... I hope you're all sitting down. Yes, and, and I'm going to be very truthful here. And mm, okay, there's good. four girls, four ladies, yeah. four yeah. women, and we had a bottle of champagne in the room. Mm-hmm. And then we went in to our meal. We got all dressed up. We were really posh ladies, let me tell you. And we walked oh, into gosh. this restaurant. And first of all, they didn't have a table for us because they, want, <laughs> they wanted to put us in the potting shed. And we went, uh-uh, we're not going the in the potting, potting shed. shed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, so then we went into the main restaurant and we sat down. But we made a point of having loads of bottles of water. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what we decided to do. And then we had between the four of us for this dinner... Mm-hmm. We had two bottles of white wine. Well, that's, that's not too bad. No, it isn't, is it? Then afterwards. Uh, well, no. Uh, well, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We we decided, you know, when you think it's so good, the evening, you don't want it to stop. It's really having a fantastic oh, yeah, evening. Yeah, yeah. And then Whatever. my... Yeah. How many? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I can see what you're doing. How many yes, bottles? No, it was just one glass each of white wine at the bar. After the dinner, except one of us decided, quite rightly, just to have some tonic water. But that wasn't you, I suppose. No, no, it definitely no, wasn't no, me. Of course yeah, not. and because we had one of these nice meals that you don't really have much on your plate for the for the main course, <laughs> but very expensive. <laughs> but very expensive. We realised that you had tasted fabulous. Oh yeah, you got it. You got yeah, it. Yeah, I've been there. You've yeah. been there, haven't you? Yes. Not to that place. <laughs> I haven't been to a potting shed to, to, or any, any garden centre to eat. But I can imagine. I can imagine what you were going through there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I was going through that, and of course, we woke up the next morning having an amazing sleep. I might add, I had a fantastic sleep, but when I woke up. I thought, wow, it feels like I've had too much to drink, even though I drank the most water as well as the wine that night. It would be the water that did it, probably. That yes, it probably would. Yeah. The sore head. Yeah, exactly. That, that's yeah. my excuse, or rather that's the excuse you're giving me, Linda. See, if you were in Scotland, what you'd have done is you'd have stopped at a chip shop on the way home <laughs> and had a deep-fried Mars bar. Yes! No, you're absolutely right. No, but you are, because we ate really late. That was another thing. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we kept saying the reason we are feeling hungover is because we didn't have much on our plate, but we didn't have a lot of wine, no more than usual, but we didn't eat a lot. You're right. So we should have literally mm-hmm. got in a taxi, gone to a chippy in yeah. the Cotswolds. On the way back. And arrived <laughs> back with your bags of chips yes. and eating them in the posh bar. <laughs> You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Do you remember when you were young and you used to go out to play? I would go out first thing in the morning and Mm. the summers always seemed to be warm. I don't remember any rain, even though I was in Scotland, Mm. which is kind of extraordinary used to go out in the morning wearing shorts and a t-shirt that was my uniform for the whole of the summer would disappear off out go and knock on some friend's door <laughs> is so-and-so coming out to play and <laughs> off we'd go on our bikes you know and i, I was probably 
from from the age of about six, seven, you know, that, that kind of age, we'd disappear all morning, go back when we were thirsty, which would probably be about 10 o'clock. You know? <laughs> and then we would be okay until lunchtime. Ah. Where somehow or other, I think the smell of food coming from the houses round about would tell you it was lunchtime and off you'd go and have your lunch. Now, is that the kind of thing that you used to do? I think so. I think I do remember just literally being able to walk out of my door, meet a couple of friends at the top of my road, and we would walk around some of the roads. Yeah, so, yeah, we would, and we would go to the forest up the road, and that's where I had my first cigarette. <gasps> oh, yeah. no, I never did that. That was my first one, and my last. It was disgusting. And you know how you remember tastes? Well, I remember that cigarette taste thinking, this is disgusting. Well, we've been talking, haven't we, about stepping back in time because we met Julia Sang, did we not, who's done something quite extraordinary, hasn't she? Mm. Yeah, she's been campaigning to close streets in order that children can have a little bit of a playtime. And I think it's a great idea, closing streets, so no traffic can come through during the period that it's closed. Yeah. And we're often being asked to donate to developing countries. But we don't often hear the success stories of where that money went and what actually happened to someone who was on the receiving end. We're very fortunate to have CAMFED in our area. A lot of us know what CAMFED do, they educate girls. But we're having the opportunity to meet one of those girls and she really is a success story, isn't she, Susie? Absolutely a success story. And it's wonderful to be able to talk to Forget Shereka and, of course, Anka Adams from CAMFED. So lots of good stuff coming up. But first, let's meet Julia Sang. Our guest today is Julia Sang. A mum of two young children who lives in Cambridge. Now, a really interesting and genuine story here in that Julia's campaign is to make play streets easier for all residents across Cambridgeshire, not just for children to play freely and safely, but for adults too, to find some time to meet neighbours, have a cup of tea, talk about life or exchange daily experiences because they are meeting of course and spending time together now it's not been an easy journey either and julia's inspiration came from the not-for-profit national social change organization called playing out founded in bristol by like-minded parents hello julia nice to have you on women making waves today hello thank you for having me how hard has it been to sort of reclaim streets for children and neighbours since you've got involved in all this? When I first started kind of looking into it, there had been a couple of people in Cambridge who had done play streets before me. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is, there's a precedent for this. And then when I looked at the application form and filled that in and sent it off, I kind of came across a whole load of barriers to applying really such as you had to be quite knowledgeable for example about traffic management and this was the Cambridgeshire Highways Department kind of setting the standard and when I spoke to some other people pride previously it seemed that some things had been easier previously and some things had been a bit harder but there was definitely a lot in there that was going to put people off so you know the requirement to have liability insurance for example and the requirement to have read and understood all these traffic conditions and then the year that I applied I think there was one other street that applied and 
people who I connected with kept saying, well, it's actually, it's putting us off. We don't like this idea that we have to have insurance and we don't really understand the traffic management stuff. So I was fortunate enough that someone from Playing Out helped us set up a meeting with the highways department. And we had a really good chat with them and understood from their point of view that they were just being very risk aware because if they signed off a street closure and then something terrible happened, you know, it would come back to their door. We kind of looked into how can we get permission for the highways department to feel like this is something that they can support and manage. And from there, the idea was born to find a way to get the councillors involved. Right. It sounds like you almost had to take some sort of course in um, even getting the getting the street open to residents. I looked into what we needed to do to speak to the councillors. And to speak at a council meeting, you have to have 50 people sign a petition and then you get a two-minute slot to speak. Actually, to get 50 people to sign a petition wasn't that difficult, especially because Cam Cycle picked it up and promoted it amongst their members. Once we spoke at the council meeting, the councillors were fully supportive behind it and they asked the highways department to look into how they could make the application process a bit simpler and easier for people to apply and the highways department were really helpful in doing that. And just as things were getting off the ground, of course, the pandemic hit. Um, I think I spoke at the council meeting in January and of course by March it was everything was in lockdown but in a way I guess that gave the highways department time to do their research and update their application form and they've done that and they've now said that insurance is optional if you want they kind of advise you can have it but it's optional and they've given lots of good guidance so you don't have to be you know a professor in traffic management to understand how to close the road and there's lots of people that have applied this year there there still are some restrictions which I understand on like busy roads or kind of roads where there's a lot of through traffic yeah I'm really hopeful this year is really going to be the summer of play for people in Cambridge and Cambridgeshire yeah because when you mentioned liability insurance I immediately thought oh my goodness that's going to cost and I, that would be like going around the neighbours presumably asking everyone to chip in but they've now relaxed that rule by the sound of it yeah so I think they're kind of still hopeful that people might want to take it out but I'm not really sure what it would cover because it's very difficult for example to damage street furniture if you're talking about damaging a lamppost or you know kids with kids playing and parents are still responsible for their children so if someone I don't know, kicks a ball through someone's window, then that's still the parent's responsibility to make good with the neighbour on that. And if a child trips up over a paving stone, that's, again, it's still the council's responsibility because that was their paving stone. So I think it really comes down to whether you close the street safely enough and whether you've briefed the marshals that are going to close the street well enough so that you've got the process in place. And there's lots and lots of good advice about how to do that safely. Julia, obviously this has been done all around the UK, especially in Bristol. Have you been able to tap into their experience so far? Obviously you've got that website, haven't you, playing out. Have they been very helpful? They've been amazing, definitely. Every every question we've had, they've been able to support us and give us examples of places that are doing things, you know, and how they do them and... Um, they've helped facilitate some meetings and connect us up with with people yeah so they've been brilliant and also um, the city council the youth and communities team have have been really helpful in kind of connecting people together and training 
play workers and youth workers in running Play Street. And just to be clear, you're shutting your street completely, forever, or is it just the odd days, or how does that work? Most people will shut the streets between two and three hours, I'd say, um, and it could be on a regular basis. So I know some streets in Bristol would do it once a week after school, so every week at a regular time they'd, they'd close their road. Um, and then for some people it might just be like a once a year event, almost like a street party. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and you close the road to through traffic, so residents can still get in and out of their homes. And you have volunteer marshals from the street who will have a system to kind of walk cars in and out of the street that need to get access. Mm -hmm. So they'll make sure that there's no children in the middle of the road and kind yeah. of... Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really interesting, actually, because you've just mentioned that uh, volunteers and marshals. All I can think about when you when you close off a street is this fantastic line of tables and all party <laughs> party outfits. The end of the war. At the end of the war. Yeah, that's it. But you, you, you want to do that, obviously. But you've just said you want to do it where you want to help the cars as well to get through and the drivers. And you don't want to be so so rude or you, well, you want to work together, don't you, with people? And you want to be able to say, look... It can happen. We are going to enjoy ourselves. We want to close the road for the streets and neighbours and we will help the cars to direct them. I didn't realise that, you know, marshals is probably the best thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think you don't want to cut people off. You know, pe people who, residents on streets who don't have children um, or who don't, you know, want to come along to playing out, they still have their lives to lead. So yeah. we don't want to kind of stop them from doing what they need to do. Of Weirdly, one of the things I will miss from lockdown is the little amount of traffic that we've had yeah. going up and down. It, yeah, it gives you it gives you an idea of what it was like 30 years ago or 40 years ago when there just weren't so many cars on the street. On that note, that's really interesting. I, I wonder if somebody would be brave enough to say, gosh, could we possibly have two weeks a year that we have a lockdown two weeks or a lockdown day? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a popular suggestion. No, it doesn't, is it? <laughs> Susie. But, but just to have that quietness, as you say, Julie, it's a re it must be so hard for parents sometimes to walk out on the street. And, you know, I used to have, you know, the children were very young and I remember thinking, my goodness, I have to watch the roads. And, the, you know, the traffic and the cars get faster and faster, don't they? Yeah, and I think that's one of the major reasons that there's been such a decline in children playing out is that the streets are just more traffic dominated and then they're scarier places to be out on yeah. that and alongside the kind of loss of green space from cities and areas means that there's just less safe places for children to go and play that and the terror that the children suddenly disappear as well and i mean the chances of that happening are so 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 slim but every parent's are, your worst nightmare isn't it really that just going to disappear <laughs> you leave them out of sight for a few minutes and you never see them yeah and I think there's um there's like a recognition of kind of the stranger danger um mm -hmm. and the change in the way that they are educating parents about this because it's because there's one thing I suppose if your child gets lost but the stranger danger is such a small risk they kind of I saw something about a, diff a, a new campaign to you know kind of encourage parents that this is a very small the stranger danger thing's a small risk anyway mm. Mm -hmm. And Julia, what have you learned from the experience so far? Obviously, you've had a year of lockdown and obviously you made some great inroads before lockdown. But what have you personally learned about the experience for yourself and with your family, with this whole idea of closing down streets so that you can talk to your neighbours, really, and play? 
I think it's really been the start of a building block for us on our street about becoming more connected. So on our street, we're a quite a busy street. Um, and in fact, we don't meet the criteria to close our street. So we've been playing out in a car park at the end of our street. We, mm-hmm. we book it out on a Sunday for every few months. And all the children on our street go to different schools. So they might know each other in passing, but they haven't had a chance to really kind of get to know each other. And it's the same with the parents. You kind of might give a nod, but you don't really know each other. And... The first thing was that it just became a friendlier street to live on. You f- it felt safer. It felt like, oh, yeah, I know that there's people on my street that I get along with. And, yeah, I think they'd they'd watch out for me. And it starts off with small things like there's more people that you might want to borrow a pint of milk from um, or ask to, you know, watch, watch your house if you're away for a couple of days. And then it built up to a kind of a, an informal support network during the pandemic where people felt, I think, more comfortable in being able to ask neighbours for help for things when they were shielding. And now it's just really connected. I think people have done all sorts of things. They've kind of transformed an area at the bottom of our street into a little parklet, which was previously previously like a recycling dump. Julia, I think people are going to be listening to what you're saying and going, oh, we should do that in our street. What advice would you give them just to get started? I would say, first of all, just do it. Definitely, if you're thinking about it. Find um, another family or another resident on your street who also wants to do it and do it together because there is a bit of setup work. You know, you need to kind of knock on all your neighbours' doors to start off with and explain to them. Yeah, don't don't be afraid. Don't worry about it. I think there's so much supporting information out there playing out. I've got a whole manual about how to close your street, you know, how to do it safely, what step by step what you need to do. And um, they really kind of take you through the process. And that visit that you made to the council, that would be a one-off, presumably. Nobody else would, in Cambridge would have to do that because you've kind of laid the groundwork. Is that right? Yeah. That's it. So the the whole application process has been updated a bit now to just to make it easier for people. It's still I think there's a balance between you know I'm I've I've got two small kids and I work and it's quite often the people that are super super busy already who are the one seem to be the ones that want to then organise something extra as well. If you want to get something done, (laughs) Julia, ask a busy person. We know that. (laughs) So, so, um, yeah, so I was kind of trying to say to them, you've got to make it as easy as possible for people. There's a recognition about how much it helps kids, you know, to have this kind of unstructured playtime. I think that's that's one of the biggest things that have been eroded in the past generation is just having time where kids can just go out and explore and make up games out of nothing or make up games of, you know, what they find lying around with them in their environment. I think that's the motivation behind all of this. It's very easy for children to stay indoors these days because um, because of the traffic, because of the amazing entertainment that you get now in many different ways through through streaming services and video games. Although, you know, I'm not saying that those are bad things at all I think that the chance to be out and about and to be active and to give them a sense of belonging is really powerful and and a way that we're gonna 
this is how we want the world to be, I think, is not all to be isolated in the future and to not have anxiety and to not be worried about things and to be able to find ways to connect with other people. And I think that's one of the really special things about playing out. And mixing with children of different ages and things like that. No, there's absolutely no doubt about it. You know, they, they, I mean, when I when I was young, and don't ask how old I am, but when I was young, I used to, in the summer holidays or any holiday, or on Saturdays, disappear first thing in the morning, come back when I was hungry, you know. I'd always be back at lunchtime and then back at tea time again. And in between, we'd be coming in with friends, you know, demanding caramola foam or drinks or something like that. So, you know, it it, it, it was brilliant. But then... It was a very, very different world 150 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I was reading something that said it's in one generation, um, the age that children have been allowed to go and play outside is um, used to be at the age of nine or just before the age of nine, and now it's just before the age of 11. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big gap actually mm, it um, is it is do you find there's an older generation in your street that are really glad of this too because people that are living on their own probably want a bit of company would they come out as well is it not just the parents so um on my mum's street in london which is where i first experienced playing out that's exactly what happened so my mum um volunteered as a marshal for the event and um we just happened to be visiting her on the day that that it was going ahead um and there were other people on the street that didn't have children who were helping to to kind of organize the event and then there was all the kids and the parents out and there was you know a neighbor that came out with she'd made um frappuccinos for everybody and was kind of handing them out um and so there was definitely like an interconnectedness between the generations when when that was happening um i think one of the disadvantages with us having to do it at the end of our street is that it isn't so visible. So you have to make the effort to come out of your front door and come down to the car park. Um, and that's le less likely to happen if um, if it's not on your doorstep and you can't just see it happening outside your window. You, you're less likely to kind of peek ahead out, I think. Mm -hmm. um, which is why there is a difference, I think, between closing your street and having it they're visible in front of you and um, some people say oh why can't you just go and play in the local park and organize a play date there and that's you know that's part of the difference is that it's not as inclusive when you when you go and do it there it's not as easy to just dip in and dip out or you know give it a try and then think or oh, maybe I'll come back next time how do people get in touch with you is there a website or something that they get in touch with you through um, if they want to talk to me, they can um, look on Facebook for Playing Out Cambridge. And that's a group of very informal local people who are supporting it. Um, and it has some of the um, kind of youth and play workers as well who have been trained by the council on there who can support. And if you want to find any more out about how to do play streets, I'd go to the playingout.net website. You mentioned your mum earlier. So your mum, have you taken not only inspiration from the Bristol organisation, but obviously your mum was doing this before you, is that correct? On my mum's street, there were some families that got together and decided they want to organise a play street. And they got in contact with all of the residents and asked if anybody wanted to help and gave let them know how they could help. 
And my mum is a used to be a teacher before she um, retired and is absolutely passionate about children's rights and education and learning about and resilient children creating, you know, giving children the chance to take risks and learn in unstructured play. And so for her, it was, you know, like a no brainer, I think that she wanted to do it. And at the time I had um, just one really small child and we were renting. And so when I went along and saw it, I was like, this is brilliant. And I want to do this one day, but not quite yet. <laughs> um, and it took for us to kind of move streets and get somewhere a bit more settled bef- before um, I thought, okay, now I'm in a place where I can really get to know my neighbours and invest the time in organising something like this. Because it is, it is an investment and it is something you want to be long lasting and yeah. you know have a few of well, I honestly, I think that you've been a blessing to your street. I think it's fantastic that you're yeah, doing this. Yeah, I think this. it sounds like a great idea, actually. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Well, that was that's absolutely. I wish you all the best with that. It just sounds. Yeah. Um, I'd like to be on your street, actually, Julia. I think it, it sounds like you have a great time. Well done, you. We really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's very interesting talking about something like this. It's, it's so fundamental and so important. So thank you so much, Julia, for joining us today here at Women Making Waves. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Women Making Waves. You can listen to our interviews by visiting womenmakingwaves.co.uk. We feature many inspiring women on Women Making Waves, but this story is particularly amazing. This is a story of resilience, courage and perseverance. It's also a story of education, support and hope. We are often asked by charities to donate so that girls in developing countries are given better chances. Well, this is the real-life story of one girl from Zimbabwe who was supported by CAMFED. We're delighted to be joined by Forget Shereka and Anka Adams. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome, Forget. Now, can we start at the point when you were seven years old? And something awful happened that changed your life, didn't it? Can you tell us about that? So when I was seven, I lost my mom. So I had to move to my rural home to stay with my grandmother. And by that time, my grandmother was uh, 86 years (gasps) old. Wow. So she was, yeah, she was old. And that really changed my life. Uh, Every child deserves like that mother love. Mm. But suddenly that because um, I lost my mother, I now like I was now in the hands of um, my grandmother, which which I'm so grateful for because my grandmother was a superhero. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) So my grandmother, uh, you know, like she was a widower, so she was the father of the house, the mother of the house, the sister of the house and the granny of the house so hard working uh, given the fact that she was a subsistent farmer so she could make sure that uh, we are well fed and making sure that i'm well bathed i'm presentable each and every morning trying to you know to comfort me from the loss of my mother that's a real upheaval actually forget that must have been awful and was there a, a primary school close to where you lived that you went to 
<laughs> no, like um, I think that's uh, a reality, you know, like uh, many girls in Africa face those uh, long walks to school. So the school was located about 12 kilometers <laughs> from uh, where I used to stay. So it was hard and I was in grade two. So every day I could walk about 24 kilometers to and from school. Wow. And I, I could just like, I just want to, <laughs> to make it like public. Now there were days of years I couldn't like uh, reach to school. My grandmother could boil, you know, maize. She could boil it, pack it nicely in my backpack for me to go to school. And because, you know, um, I was so tired of walking. I was so young. I could hide in the bush and come back home. And my grandmother could just ask me, how was school? You know, like that feeling that, oh, she's back from school. And I could be like, yeah, school was good. But she could like easily catch me like, okay, she's lying because she started to ask, okay, so what did you learn today? And I was like, I would tell her the things that I have learned yesterday. And so the other time, my uncle had to beat me. Yeah, like he beat me up for doing that. <laughs> I can imagine. I can just imagine a seven, eight-year-old doing exactly that. I think I'd have been the same, actually, yeah. forget. So when you came to the end of your primary school, there was a decision to be made at that point. What were your options? The challenge was at that point, my grandmother didn't have money to send me to, to secondary school. That was a very hard time of my life, uh, given uh, the determination and the big dreams that I still have. I have learned to share my story with others, like as I'm doing right now. So I had to tell the school secretary that I want to go to secondary school. I want to write my final exam. But my grandmother doesn't have money, so she just said, that's fine. We talked to the school headmaster and the senior teacher, so they helped me. And uh, But that was the time uh, Comfort was just started uh, in my district, in Bire district. The senior teacher was the wife to the headmaster at the secondary school. So when she heard about my story and uh, she knew me like, you know, being a good child, so intelligent, participating in a lot of uh, school activities, including child protection. And I was also like the vice president for the Girl Child Network. So she was so touched about the story. She said, okay, I'll talk to my husband. There is a new organization supporting girls' education. So Comfort now came into play. Comfort gave me an opportunity to go to school since, like, I told you that, like, I was staying uh, far away. Mm -hmm. And now, like, I transitioned a little bit to stay with the secretary, but it was still, like, far away. And, uh, you know, like, some daily calls that you need to wash the dishes and all this stuff. So the decision was made by Comfort that uh, the safer environment for forget to stay and for her to be productive at school is to take her to a boarding school, which I'm so grateful for. So I was taken to a boarding school, uh, having my school fees being paid, also provided with uh, stationary uh, school uniforms, sanitary pads. And uh, at times also comfort could chip in because now the secretary could buy me the toiletries. 
-hmm. but sometimes I could not have like a school tag. You know, when you're going to a boarding school, you need snacks, things like that, that when you are reading, you can have something to eat. Yeah. Because like, for example, dinner is at five. So the reading time is from six to eight. So that time you can actually like uh, maybe feel hungry. You need something to eat. Mm. Or maybe sometimes there could be no money to, to buy those toiletries. So Comfort could send me money through the Kama sister or Kama chair from Bire District Chipo. So Chipo could bring me the groceries at school so that like I continue with my education. That's amazing. So can we bring in Anka at this stage? Anka Hi. Adams. And you actually work for CAMFED, don't you? Yes, indeed. So can you tell us a little bit about the background of CAMFED and your presence in the countries and the way that you're able to help people like uh, Forget? Sure. And thanks for having me on, Linda, again. And I really appreciate it. And you're it's welcome. great to connect with Forget again. So we've worked together a few times. And, uh, you know, Forget's story is sadly typical of millions of girls across sub-Saharan Africa. And you can hear the determination and the passion for education that runs so deep in girls, you know, in their families working so hard to try and send girls to school. But so many people don't realize that there's a cost. We are talking about the government school system here, but there are fees to be paid at schools. There's fees for exams. There's books, there's clothing, there's all the things that a lot of families just simply can't afford. And girls tend to be the first to be pushed out of the system in that case, because they are also often needed at home to maybe look after other siblings, to do the chores, etc. So Camford was established in 1993 now, simultaneously in Zimbabwe and here in the UK. And the whole model is based really on community commitment to girls' education, listening to communities, saying what are the barriers that are keeping girls out of school, and then communities taking the lead in solving those issues and owning with pride the result of the girls' education. And so CAMFED brings the funding in, it brings people together around girls, the support networks they need to be safe, to succeed at school. And then most importantly, we support women like Forget in the transition from school into independence. So the support doesn't stop at the school gate. It's about graduating into a sisterhood of women leaders. CAMA is the CAMFED Association of Women Leaders. All young women who've benefited from CAMFED support in their education who then go on to help the next generation through school and also provide that peer support to each other so that they can, as a group, break down the barriers and prove to their communities the benefits of educating girls, which of course, if a girl finishes school but has no prospects in her community, she's still at huge risk of having to get married young, exploitative labor, having to move to a city to make money because there's no jobs. So women like Forget are showing that if you support women through school and then they have that support network among each other and within the communities, they can build businesses, they can support the next generation through school. And I think we'll hear a lot more about um, Forget's journey after school. And her journey is that of tens of thousands of young women who are now active as part of our movement. So CAMFED is actually led by women like Forget, who lead on the design of all the programs that are there to help young people succeed. And uh, the CAMFED Association is 178,000 strong now across wow. five countries. Wow. 
and CAMFED as a movement with parents, with graduates, has supported 4.8 million children through school so far. But I think back to forget because her story is is incredible and she speaks for a whole sisterhood. It's incredible what uh, I'm hearing, obviously, from Forget. It's wonderful. And I want to go back to Forget. But I just want to ask you, as part of CAMFED, what's been the most successful avenue to really make it known, the work that you do and the journey it takes from beginning to end, really, on how really to to promote that women need help all over the world? What's been your sort of the best avenue to make people aware of what you do? Well, most recently, it was actually Nick Kristoff writing in the New York Times. I don't know if you know him, but in America, he is hugely respected by millions of people. He's an activist, a columnist, a writer who's won awards for never failing to point out what marginalized people all over the globe are going through, and especially women, and that the education of women changes everything. It touches all our lives. And whether it's climate change, we're talking about social justice, you know, just just gender equity and leadership, good political leadership. It all starts with getting girls into school and the massive opportunity we're missing when we don't support those young women. And then when we don't recognize their expertise, like women like forget know exactly what it takes to make sure a girl stays in school in a way that you and I could never in her context. So she's the expert in this area. So Nick recently nominated CAMFED for his Holiday Impact Prize, um, wrote a column in the New York Times, and you know that was a, an uplift in, in recognition and in donor support. That was incredible. Another recent achievement was being awarded the Yidan Prize for Education Development, and that's the world's biggest education prize. The Yidan Foundation supports education experts to come together and kind of provide the global solution. And Angeline Morimirwa, our executive director, and our CEO, Lucy Lake, were kind of the first team nominated as a team as laureates of the prize. So well done. It, yeah. that, there's a lot of work goes in there and uh, absolute full admiration. So um, back to forget. After school, when you did very well at school, you then went on to the Earth University. Tell us about that. When I finished the high school, uh, I passed, but I was uh, in the rural area, so I had to move uh, to the city because... Uh, you know, everyone wants to move to the city and uh, also like you just think like, OK, um, I just finished uh, A-level, so what is next? Can I find a job or all those like sorts of thoughts? So I just moved to stay with my cousin so that I could be closer to Comfort CC office. So by that time, like everyone knows about my story and uh, a lot of people are, are being so inspired. So... So I was uh, now told about Earth University, but like, you know, uh, in my life, never before I, like, I knew about going on internet, uh, browsing. That was another world because I just grew up in a rural area where there is like no such kind of stuff and uh, exposure. So I could go to Comfort's offices. They told me that, you know what, we really want you to go to, to university. So what we are going to do, 
I will download the application so that you work on your application. It comfort. So sometimes I could walk and sometimes uh, some of the those uh, karma sisters could give me uh, transport, uh, give me lunch for me to work on my application. So like that was the support like I received. So when I applied, I think at first two people were selected. I was on the waiting list. Uh, I didn't know, but I think like all of my comfort sisters who were helping me to apply were saddened like by that um, development. But, uh, you know, there was still hope at university made a decision of uh, removing me on the waiting list. Oh, my God. There was a celebration in comfort's <laughs> office. Like, you know, those screams. Because I, I was imagine. on the yeah, <laughs> I was on the call and everyone was just screaming. I was like, "Oh my god, we can't believe it!" So like that's how um I ended up being uh, at Eth University. And did you enjoy your time at that university? Forget. Oh yes, I did. I had a great time at uh, Eth University. It was uh, a journey of discovery. Because before I left Zimbabwe, I thought I was going to Eth University, you know, to get uh, a degree. After I get my degree, I could come back home and find a good job. So everything was mind-blowing because when I get to Eth University, they have like a focus of creating like leaders of change. And uh, they work under the theme, we learn by doing. So everything that you learn you also do the practical part of it. And I really enjoyed the development work. So you have to go through work experience where you go and work in the community where you tend to understand um, the reality of the farmers, the reality of uh, those disadvantaged families. So that uh, gave me uh, exposure and also gave me experience on how to work with empathy that you go, you understand somebody's story, but it it don't just end there. Uh, you act on it. So I thought of uh, what I can also do that can make an impact on my community because now, as I was growing up, uh, getting my education, trying to get uh, my vision clearer, I tend to understand that at the hope my community has is me. So I could just like remember that, okay, I'm coming from a community. I got this privilege. There is also somebody in that community in the same situation I was. Everything, you know, in the community needs someone to stand the gap to solve at least one problem. So I came up with different initiatives. So most of the initiatives that I work on are focused on women empowerment and uh, rural community development. So at first I founded a Life Hope Future Association, uh, which is uh, a community-based organization that helps indigenous Doma people in the northern part of Zimbabwe and uh, the rural farmers with uh, agricultural skills, how to practice conservation agriculture, and how they can, uh, you know, get uh, nutritious food from that. 
and how can also they can get like a small income from uh, the vegetable they grow. But besides that, three years down the line, when I was in my third year, I co-founded Chashi Foods with other colleagues, uh, which is an initiative that like right now I'm working on. So it's Chashi Food is um, a social enterprise, which is socially and environmentally responsible. We are committed to reduce post-harvest losses in Zimbabwe and with uh, a big vision of just moving like into other sub-Saharan countries where that like problem of post-harvest losses is serious. So you can just imagine that 40% of uh, the annual produce, farmers produce, of which most of them are women, it goes into waste. And that's like a sad reality, especially when we are talking of things like food security, nutrition security and climate change because uh, when food decays it releases methane which is uh, a gas Mm -hmm. 28 times more powerful than carbon dioxide so those like are the things that really needs our attention so we work to solve that problem uh now increasing the shelf life of the vegetables that were supposed to go into the landfill contribute to the greenhouse emissions. We are saving it, contributing to food security while increasing farmers' income per capita. So that's basically what we do. So we then sell those dried fruits and vegetables. So we have the apples, pineapples, tomatoes, and after I graduated from Earth University, things kept on happening. Um, forget, thank you for that. You mentioned earlier about CAMFED Sisters. How important is CAMFED Sisters to you? Okay, so the CAMFED Association Sisters to me, they are more than, uh, they are more than sisters. They are guardians to other children without parents. They are teachers themselves because most of them are teacher mentors. So they take like a girl child through the education process. There will be time every child at home needs somebody to help them with their homework. So, you know, the Comfort Sisters covers that like uh, gaps as teacher mentors. Uh, You know, there will be like a time everybody needs someone to hear them out yeah uh those like sisters are there like we are there for each other there will be time you know we you need maybe a coach you know just to remind you like okay you know what you you need someone to put you in the right direction mm-hmm. and uh there are sometimes you need a cheerleader so comfort sisters are cheerleader we cheer each other up yeah yeah um in like yeah in uh in the in the rural communities uh you know like each and every comfort sister because we are it's a network of our alumni they are doing a great work some of them they they just is sewing clothes to sell and make sure that with the little profit they get they bring it back to support other girls to go to school you know like they are a shoulder to lean on um sometimes when you need to cry you know you have a lot of problems as a girl child maybe you don't have someone to talk to mm-hmm. you can talk to your karma system it's uh, it's more than like being 
just like ordinary sisters. So I can say we are extraordinary sisters. We give each other ideas. <laughs> it's a, it is a brilliant way of setting up an organization so that it's ongoing and, and, and expanding all the time. It is a brilliant idea. You are now, forget, at Edinburgh University. How did that happen? <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Yeah, so when I was uh, still at, um, you know, at, uh, at, at university, I was uh, looking for opportunities that I can, uh, I can explore. And I never ceased to be comfortable, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really nice. That's sweet. <laughs> uh, you know, I never ceased to, to receive like, uh, that kind, such kind of support. When I need it, I get it. So I, I was just trying to to apply. You know, I needed things like uh, recommendation letters. So Angie, our um, regional director and our country director, Miss Ngala, uh, could still support me with things like recommendation letters and revising like my application letter to see like everything is uh, is in place. So I applied and uh, ended up being here. Beside that, there was a connection between uh, Edinburgh Innovation and myself because one of my uh, co-founders was a student here. So people here already heard about Chashi Foods and they fell in love with it. <laughs> yeah. Forget this has been absolutely fascinating actually. I've got one I've got one final question for you. How would okay. your life how would your life have been different without Camfed? Wow. So you I just want to 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 speak of the reality that happens every day. When you finish primary school education when you don't have anything to do uh, you know, when you don't have hope for the future, the only thing that or the only option that you left with is to get married. So like that increases the rate of uh, child marriages. In those child marriages, people are like, you know, are being abused. You are getting married. You are a child. You don't know what to do in the marriage. You become a child with another child. So I think if comfort didn't come to my rescue or if comfort didn't give me an opportunity, maybe I would have get married, maybe at uh, 15, 16 years old. I'm so grateful. I don't know. Uh, maybe the word grateful is not enough to thank uh, comfort and everyone who supports comfort's mission and vision. So that was very important to me because I didn't like fall a victim of child abuse, of child marriage. And uh, I got an opportunity and that opportunity didn't only change uh, my own life. It also, you know, like my success is my family's success, is my community's success. And uh, that is why to me it's very important that uh, achieving my dreams should make a positive impact from where I come from. So this is like uh, a lifetime opportunity that I have that I don't take for granted. That yeah. is, it is an amazing story, actually. And Anka, how do you feel when you listen to Forget and other girls like her, I guess? Incredible. So I have the opportunity quite frequently to speak to Camfit Association members and work really closely with our colleagues in Africa. And it's 
it's everything. You know, I'm 100% convinced that educating girls is absolutely to the solution to all of the problems we're facing on this planet right now. You've heard Forget Speak, and she's one of tens of thousands of women leaders who are really changing the status quo in their communities. This is about systems change on a global level. It's about Forget on a personal level, her family, her community, but globally to make this big impact. And just to put some numbers against what she's saying about the support that she herself is giving, of the 4.8 million children that Canva supported through school, primary and secondary, through our community networks and donor funds, 2.1 million were supported by young women like Forget with their own resources. And that's the sustainability and the proof in the pudding in the sense that you support one girl to go to school, she'll support three more with her all financial resources. And that becomes an incredible multiplier. Mm -hmm. And that multiplier is all because of women leading that change in their communities, like forget and just being absolutely incredible at everything they do and 100% committed and passionate. Well, very, very impressive. Both of you forget and Anki, I'd, um, I'd take my hat off to both of you. It's so lovely to hear all this. It really is fantastic. Yeah, very, very inspiring. Both of you, thank you very much indeed for sharing your story, Forget Shereka. And uh, thank you, thank you, Anka Adams, for joining us as well and telling us all about CamFed. This has been really inspirational. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, so, that was very enjoyable, wasn't it? It really Susie? was, actually. And two very different women talking about something that they feel so strongly about and the mm. journey. In fact, they've both had really interesting journeys, haven't they? That's what's so good. And they've really been so strong about it. Yeah, indeed. I thought it was absolutely fascinating listening to these two. I'm uh, very grateful that Forget Shareka and Anka Adams have joined us today. And also Julia Sang. Great guests, all of them. Now, if you want to get in touch with us via social media on Twitter and Facebook, we'd love to hear from you. And that will be at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves Radio. Now, you can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or you can visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews. Music.